Hello everybody and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy or a Bible app that you use on your phone, I would love it if you opened up the scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 19. It's a special reading that we are going to be using. I will explain after we've read and started going through the passages for tonight. That said, as you turn there, very special announcement. Approximately six months from now, we are going to be having the Catacomb Synod Convention, which will be happening sometime after Easter. This will be an opportunity for the Catacomb Synod to give Lutherans and Christians everywhere the convention that we have sorely been needing, especially Lutherans who have unfortunately witnessed some rather limp-wristed and ineffectual conventions as of late. We deserve a better class of convention, and by the grace of God, we here at the Very Lutheran Project will give that to you. If anybody has any questions regarding it, or if they have suggestions for resolutions to be made, edited, and voted on during the Catacomb Synod Convention, please send me an email, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. This will not be open enrollment, not for the first Catacomb Synod Convention. There will be vetted individuals only or known individuals to myself, to the known deacons in the Catacomb Synod, etc. But we do hope that this gains enough traction so that the conventions that happen afterward will be open events for people to attend. But with that said, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in the 18th verse. Hear the word of our Lord. Now David fled and escaped. And he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. And he went there to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied, until he came to Nioth and Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let us turn to Job chapter 36. As you are turning there, we may recall that Elihu has been speaking. A young man, 
admittedly a hot-headed and angry young man, who has added absolutely nothing good to the conversation between Job and his three friends. He promises when he begins to speak that he will say something different than Job's three friends have been saying. He promises that he is going to give inborn, God-given wisdom. And then he doesn't. He proceeds to condemn Job, to attack Job, to say that Job is an evil and wicked man. He has been going on now for four chapters saying nothing of value and only things of detriment to Job and his friends. We read today the final two chapters in his speech, and I'm hoping that you notice what I noticed as the 36th chapter goes into the 37th chapter. We will be reading them together. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapters 36 and 37. And Elihu continued and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and describe righteousness to my Maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Behold, God is mighty, and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne he sets them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they are behaving arrogantly. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen... They perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart cherish anger, and they do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. He also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there was no cramping, and what was set on your table was full of fatness. But you, you are full of the judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing, and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress, or all the force of your strength? Do not long for the night when peoples vanish in their place. Take care, do not turn to iniquity, for this you have chosen rather than affliction. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work, of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist in... In rain, 
which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea, for by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance, he covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence, the cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the, the lightnings when his voice is heard. God wondrously thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the, the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the, the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter as lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you not know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you, do you know the balancings of the cloud, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind. Can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall, shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And no one, no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies, when the, the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Therefore men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you noticed what I noticed, beloved. Something changes in Elihu's tone. We start chapter 36 exactly where he left off in everything that he had been speaking about Job, about God, about Job's friends, everything. Verse 2, bear with me a little and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. With these words, Elihu cements his arrogance. His 
frothing at the mouth, wicked arrogance, as he thinks somehow his wisdom, the stirrings of his heart, are perfect before God Almighty, before Job, his three friends, and anybody else there. Behold, God is mighty, he says, and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He goes right to saying the same thing he's been saying. Saying things Job and Job's friends have already been saying. All four of them have asserted that God is just. The wicked eventually get what's coming to them. This is how things work. Job has expressed his frustration that it isn't something he can see. But as God has been sanctifying Job, he has changed his tone. He has said, yes, I understand eventually it goes well with the righteous. And yes, I understand eventually there is a divine comeuppance. Elihu is, predictably, as we have seen for two separate Bible studies now, not contradicting them while thinking he is contradicting them. Verse 7, he does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne. He sets them forever, and they are exalted. There is a reward for the righteous. Sure. But then he goes to verses 8 and 9 and 10. If they are bound in chains and caught in the cord of affliction, referring to the righteous, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions that they are behaving arrogantly. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. Elihu tells Job, listen Job, I'm going to say something totally different from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You sinned and this is God's way of warning you so that you repent and turn back to him. And God can restore you if you do so. That is literally the exact same message that Job's friends have been giving to Job. This entire book. Nothing different. So, here, in these verses, we see his tone is unchanged. What Elihu is saying, that he believes is a defense of God, is really just condemning Job. But we see, verse 5, I do have to mention, he says, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. This is a direct contradiction of later books of scripture where Malachi says, Behold, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. The fact that God holds to agape love for the entire world does not prevent God from despising someone that is in open rebellion and wickedness to him. This is most certainly true. Elihu is most certainly mistaken. But I digress. Verse 10, he opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. All of Job's friends have been saying that. If they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. This is nothing different from what we have been hearing over the course of the entire book. The godless in heart cherish anger. There is a righteous anger, Elihu. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. 
He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Elihu is willing to say that God might save us by our suffering. I, the best construction I can put on this is he's trying to say that God has a good intent with what is happening in Job's life. However, if we were to not use the best construction on this, this would be Elihu saying, you are saved through suffering, which is deeply incorrect. There can be a sanctifying effect to suffering, most certainly, especially as the writers of Hebrew, uh, Hebrews and James will speak of steadfastness in the fruits that come from enduring hardship. That's not what saves you. However, even though Elihu gives that as an opening, he then immediately accuses Job of being wicked yet again. Verse 17, But you are full of the judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing, and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. All of Job's friends say, look, you're a good guy. You think you sinned. That, that's the only explanation we can understand given God's justice. If you turn around, that's good. Elihu is the only one that is so bold as to say, first, in previous chapters, you stupid, foolish idiot, how dare you? Now, he says, you wicked, ugly, malicious sinner, how dare you? It's the final insult given to Job from mankind. The final time somebody will spit in his face in this book. Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? Do not long for the night when peoples vanish in their place. Take care, do not turn to iniquity, for this you have chosen rather than affliction. Elihu starts to say, You can't help yourself. And he starts to say, God isn't going to listen to you again. He said something to the same effect earlier. That God isn't going to answer you, bucko. He's not going to talk to you. And then his tone changes. Something changes in Elihu's speech. He has been spitting in Job's face attacking him, accusing him, mocking him, and insulting him this entire time. But if Saul can be counted among the prophets, and if God can speak through wicked King Saul, and all of Saul's servants looking to murder King David, can't God do the same for Elihu as well? The tone shift starts here in verse 22 of chapter 36. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say, you have do, done wrong? 
Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great and we know him not. The numbers of his years, it's unsearchable. He starts to speak and watch his language change to the environment around them. He draws up the drops of water. They distill in his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreadings of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. He starts speaking about the weather. Multiple times now. A storm is brewing. He's starting to take notice. And now his words don't have the same character as everything else Elihu has said thus far. Something changes Elihu's voice. Something makes him start praising God, start glorifying God in a majesty which we only start to hear about elsewhere in the book when God is speaking. I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think, and forgive this if this is speculation, Elihu's tone shift is because the Holy Spirit is starting to move. God is about to answer, and his presence leads Elihu to prophesy besides himself. The same way that Saul prophesied in spite of Saul's wickedness and his hunt to go murder the anointed, soon-to-be king, David. Verse 30, Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. By these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. I'm sorry, Elihu. I thought you said God was going to ignore Job. But here you are saying that God is making his presence known. And then Elihu notices something happening within himself. Verse 1 at of chapter 37 At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. I don't know what's happening to me. I am filled with something that is forcing me to speak right now and I can't control it. A kind of impending, powerful heart, pounding intensity goes on within Elihu and his tone earlier, which was nothing but spite, nothing but contempt, nothing but kicking a man while he was down, really, suddenly points up and starts speaking about God in a way that is foreign to Elihu's tongue up until this point. Verse 2, keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. God is starting to speak. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, after the thunder, that is, his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. 
God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. If you have noticed that Elihu begins repeating himself incessantly. Uh, this is a sign of anxiety, if you ask me. He doesn't know what's going on. And he does not know, especially what's going on inside of him that's making him speak this way. He's starting to fumble over his words as he attempts to gather together all of these words that are coming out of him. Trying to make them make sense from the sensation of being made to prophesy. Verse 6, to the snow he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man, that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. This is all language of things that God will speak about in the 38th to 41st chapters. This cannot, or at least you cannot convince me that this is anything like Elihu speaking of his own volition. I simply think it cannot be. If somebody came up to you that hated you, that hated your guts, came up to you and started spouting calumny after slander at you. They started pointing their finger and jabbing it into your chest at you. And then all of the sudden, a storm starts brewing and they start praising God uncontrollably. You and I would not think that this person was in their right mind. Or we would not think that whatever is going on with them is normal for them. Even, especially if we know our enemy very well. Elihu is not speaking by himself at this point. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. To verse 11, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, you whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind? Can you, are we noticing a pattern here in this moment? If we skip over to the next chapter, what are we going to hear God asking Job? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Elihu is starting to speak in foreshadowing of what God will speak to Job. A picture of God's holiness, his power, his vast knowledge. 
I fail to see how this is anything other than prophecy, especially when he is speaking with the same tone, the same praise for God Almighty, the same questioning, all of a sudden and just before God shows up. And isn't that how God seems to operate all throughout the scriptures? He has somebody prophesy before he acts. Before there was Christ's ministry, there was John the Baptist prophesying, Christ is going to show up. Before there was the Exodus, there was the prophet Moses telling the children of Israel, God is going to act. And almost always, it seems, right before it happens. Yes, you do have prophets that speak of far-off events, as the prophet Daniel does. But Daniel also speaks of events that are right about to happen. Like when King Nebuchadnezzar began to get too arrogant and God humbled him with his madness. Elihu, in this moment, becomes the town crier for God's arrival. Especially when we see verse 20. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? Elihu's been speaking with what could very well be the longest speech in all of the book of Job. If there was a swallowing to happen on account of Elihu, that would have happened by now. But here, verse 20, shall it be told him that I would speak? Elihu, you haven't shut up. What are you talking about unless this isn't you talking right now? Unless this, is, this must be somebody speaking for you, using your vocal cords to bring a message to poor Job in this moment. Verse 21, And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. It's like he's saying, Behold, the king has just shown up. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. And immediately, immediately, God answers Job. Do you see it, beloved? We've poured out a lot of what I hope isn't too much contempt on Elihu. His speech, most of it anyway, serves as what I believe to be the final thing that Job must endure before God gives him an answer. Steadfastness produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And we are called to wait on God, to patiently wait for his deliverance, to patiently wait for his answer. According to our time, God will always appear late. There was just one more thing that needed to happen before God answered. And God decided somebody was going to be a prophet that day to speak to Job. And it just so happened to be Elihu, the same man who served as the final feat of endurance that Job had to go through, remaining silent as Elihu insults and berates and mocks him. But once Job has heard enough of that, then God begins to speak. 
before he speaks from the whirlwind with an audible voice. He speaks from Elihu's voice, serving as the town crier to say, Praise the Lord, Almighty God, he's showing up. He's showing up to answer. And the anticipation comes to a head with such a palpable feeling that Elihu himself says something to the effect of, I'm about to have a heart attack here. But then God speaks. Then God gives an answer to Job. And an answer which, by the way, I don't care what any commentator has ever said, is incredibly satisfactory. It's the greatest answer to human suffering in our own trials that we will ever read in all of Holy Scripture. We will start that next week. And until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.